0: Welcome to the 91 Untold Change Project. I'm Neil Armand, thank you for joining us. Uh, In today's episode, we're talking to Sarah Smith. Now, the reason we asked Sarah to be part of the Change Project, in, in addition to her being an absolutely incredible human being and somebody we love here very, very much, is she has this really special power to be able to take research and empirical information and blend it with practice and how it can be applied in the real world in a way that people can produce change. Her, her personal passion is around positive psychology and she's an absolute genius in that area, which is one of the reasons why she's also the leader of the 91 Untold uh, positive psychology program, which you're very welcome to join us for if you'd like at any point, she's an incredible person. Uh, she's a highly experienced coach and change agent um, and an, an inspirational human being. Anyway, enjoy the show. I really hope you do. I shall see you after the introduction. Welcome to the 91 Untold Change Project. The, the whole universe is in a state of entropy.
1: If you can unlock that higher motivation, they'll be with you. How do you create an environment where people can find meaning at work? That can create the needed culture change. How does radical
0: change happen? You know it's a good business. In terms of our evolution, we were not required
1: to have a conscious understanding of complex systems.
0: What creates great innovation in the social arena? It does it. you take action.
1: Have some real sense of control over our lives. Welcome, Sarah. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like that description. I might put that on my professional bio for a <laughs> <laughs> Um, so maybe maybe
0: you can go into a little bit more depth around that. What is it you actually do? What are, what are the sort of projects you get engaged? I ask myself that
1: question in? every day. What does I actually do? <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's interesting because in, I guess in some senses my work the work that I'm involved in kind of has different elements or kind of strands to it so a large chunk of my work is working directly with clients so through coaching conversations coaching relationships those sorts of things Um, and then also um, working directly with clients but through group facilitation whether that's group coaching or working on leadership programs those sorts of things and also going into organizations and um, looking at supporting them at a kind of cultural level what can we do? in terms of changing the culture within the organisation um, so some of that more kind of organisational development mm. consultancy work. But then there's another kind of chunk to my work which is um, around getting engaged in um, research Um, And in looking at what is it that some of the insights that are emerging in some of the kind of fields such as positive psychology, organizational psychology, some of those kind of areas, which I think are really growing at the moment. Mm. um, What insights do they bring that actually support us in our practice? So I'm a a real advocate for that, (laughs) forming a bridge, I guess, between research and practice and how the two inform each other and I I think that's really important and that kind of so so from you know one day I may be doing a lot more of the kind of research work and then another day I might be um, out fully working with clients and kind of um, running coaching sessions so um
0: I I think it's that blending of the two that makes you quite such a great person to speak to here and why I enjoy working with you quite so much because it is that taking research and you informed by practice rather than just in in the abstract and testing it out and, and that sort of thing. Thank you. Yeah. That's, That's, I, again, praise, I, praise, I, I, praise, praise. praise. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> if if I can take you back to the the sort of organisational. Work yeah. that you're doing, I mean, and I'm, I'm sure research will be in there as well. But are there trends that you're seeing in organizations? You know, one of the things yeah, that yeah. we are interested in is almost putting a futurology yeah. hat on. What are those trends you're seeing in organizations at I the think moment? There's
1: a lot of stuff going on at the moment, and um I was having a conversation with somebody about this the other day. Actually, I think there's, I, I think it's a really exciting time in terms of the sort of work that we do as well, because I think there's a real appetite and recognition within organisations that doing things differently and looking at what insights from things areas like positive psychology, for example, and you, but kind of what is some of the stuff that research is revealing mm. that enables and supports them to deal with the challenges that organizations face at the moment. The increasing amount of uncertainty that organizations are operating in, um, increasing globalization, um, kind of changing workforce expectations, um, a need to collaborate, and need to do things very differently, um, and a real openness and appetite for what are ways in which we can do this um which i think is really exciting um so i think there's a i noticed that even with clients that perhaps have been have a long kind of history in doing things a certain way that even in those sorts of organizations there's actually an increasing openness to being a bit more experimental Mm. and having a go at trying things um which i'm really encouraged by i think that kind of um a shift away from looking for change technologies that are, you know, if we follow this eight-step plan, will give us the results that we want and a recognition that actually it's much messier than that. And we need to be quite experimental and we need to draw on a range of different ways of thinking. We need to kind of see what happens and emerges as we try things. And what supports us in doing that is having kind of, Um, Skill practitioners and an openness to what starts to emerge so that we can react and respond and kind of shape the organization in the way we want to going forward so.
0: Okay and if you were a leader inside one of those organizations that hasn't naturally adopted that new perception yeah how would you go around bringing that into an organization What, what are almost the steps that that you've noticed can be taken what's the difference between those people who seem to be adapting and those that don't
1: i think so i think it's about courage okay. i think i think it's about um kind of getting more comfortable with the feeling of vulnerability that i think is perhaps it takes increasing courage as you move up into more and more senior leadership roles within organizations um to kind of lean into and take that it can feel very uncomfortable letting go of stuff that perhaps has been the more traditional way of doing things um, and being open to trying something a bit different. Um, I think it can feel a very vulnerable position for leaders to kind of say, actually, I don't know. Yeah. Um, And maybe there isn't a definite answer. um, And kind of putting that out that almost into the organisation and kind of co-creating um you know, sort of answers to what the organisation needs to be going into the future with people in the business is um quite a scary place to step into actually. It's yeah. um and I think the need for kind of um looking at how as leaders you kind of step into I guess being tapping into that courage that enables you to do that is really important. So I guess uh, and that's some of the work that I, I'm i particularly doing in coaching work often. Yeah, so how, again, how do you
0: actually do that? Because you know, there's that old adage, isn't there? Nobody ever got sacked for bringing McKinsey or yeah, yeah, <laughs> one yeah, of those yeah, big yes, consultancy yes, those firms kind of, yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. And I'm hearing the opposite here is, no, it's not about that thinking. No offence to McKinsey, but yeah. um, it, it's about the not knowing this. It's about I don't yeah. know what the answer is here. Let's experiment. Th- there's both an ego piece there and potentially in a lot of organisations a fear piece. So yes. how do you get beyond that yeah. in order to find this new way of thinking?
1: Yeah. Not, not in one straightforward, easy path. <laughs> uh, no, no doubt you would expect me to say in all sorts of ways. I know. Um, no, if just only. Just give me the yes. solution. Yeah. You just need an extra coffee each morning, <laughs> <laughs> and then it's fine. You can do it. It's um, available on our website. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> quite. Yeah. Um, so. To me, um, one of the things that is really important this is about um, are the way in which we operate at an emotional level and how we deal with the emotional stuff that kind of kicks in and the awareness of how that might be influencing Mm. um, our decision-making, the way in which we operate and engage with other people um, and having strategies and approaches and ways in which you can kind of manage that. So I think we live in a culture and a society which for a long time has advocated kind of, you know, push that emotional stuff down, you know, kind of leave it at the door when you walk into work. Um, and that what that ultimately leads to is that it's, it's popping up, it's accumulating like the, um you know, like the metaphor of holding a beach ball kind of underneath the surface of the water is that actually it takes a lot of energy and we kind of think we've got it out of the way, but actually it pops up elsewhere. That if we, Notice and acknowledge our emotions. And I think those kick in in a big way for a lot of people when we find ourselves in situations with increasing uncertainty. We can feel out of control. Yeah. Um, And we almost... I really like this phrase, lean into the emotion, is that we don't, it's not about, you know, kind of, oh, well, there, there it comes, you know, and we sort of let it, let it all out, if you like. It's that yes. we just kind of lean into it and allow that emotional experience to be out there and to be okay with that. So this idea of accepting it rather than thinking that's not good or I need to kind of, you know, buckle that down and shut it away. Um, actually, it can inform our decision making. Um, so that kind of increasing insight into a richer awareness of our emotional experience in a kind of, you know, with, you know, kind of richer, more nuanced vocabulary around emotions yeah. and awareness of what's going on at a physical level as well for us. Um, not, not always so much kind of up in what am I thinking about this and kind of always bringing a kind of very head logical, rational analysis to everything. It's not that that's not important. Mm. Yes. But it's about, you know, how do you kind of get a, I guess, a richer sense of um, all of that and bring it into the way in which you make decisions and um, engage in your kind of role as a leader.
0: That's that's really interesting. I like that metaphor of leaning in as well, because you, you kind of think, well, that's a negative emotion or that's something that's yeah. painful. Why, yes. why, why would I lean in? But yes. it, there is something magical that happens yeah. when you do. It really is. There? Yeah, it really is. Yeah. And uh, sort of. Taking that a little bit further, that leaning in and and being able to do that, have you got any thoughts about how the organization has to be structured or what needs to be present in the organization to allow people to have the courage to be vulnerable in that way and to, to let go of the ego or let go of the position or whatever it is they need to do in order to to get to the other side, the experimental.
1: Yeah, I think there's... So as well as accepting your own experience and kind of leaning into that more, that, more, mm. that there's also, therefore, kind of <laughs> accepting that in others as well. And that, and again, you know, I kind of want to... Because I, I can almost hear, I know what some of the, the kind of um, resistance sometimes to this is, which is this idea that, does that mean, you know, everything kind of ripples out and anything goes and, you know, people can you know, burst out and say things that actually hurt others and absolutely this is not what that is about at all. That is not what I'm describing. Um this is not about saying I don't also take responsibility for the way in which I behave mm. around others. It's that I lean into that emotional experience and I allow it to be part of how I engage with others, but not in a way that is about damaging others. Um, and so having a conversation about those things in teams starts to kind of make that sort of difference So, a different level of conversation I think to um, the sort that happens um, on a day-to-day basis more typically
0: I'm kind of hearing in that there used to be this thing in businesses about soft skills yeah yeah you know, this idea that there are all these nice fluffy things that you could be doing like being nice to people and communicating effectively and being vulnerable yes even the word soft kind of minimizes that as something that is a nice to have what I'm hearing and what you're saying here is that's absolutely critical that it's not this nice have thing but that ability to have emotional intelligence yeah. and, and being in tune with your emotions and, yeah. and being able to, to host that for other people yeah. seems an essential part of leadership from what I'm hearing in what you said.
1: Oh, I think it's a fundamentally important part of leadership, absolutely. And then um, you know the research looking at the um, impact of emotional intelligence, for example, on people's success as leaders um, is really compelling. So um, it's... It's often the kind of, it's the qualitative difference that makes all the difference. Mm. Um, And I'm a real advocate of leaders working on themselves in order to facilitate the best leadership. And I think that ripples all the way down organisations. So I also um, notice and see how patterns within an individual leader then ripple out. And often show up or are manifested at a kind of team level and then at an organisational level um, so I think these things are interconnected and interrelated um, so yeah it's it's really important
0: yeah I agree and we were talking earlier before we started mm. recording about executive coaching both you mm. and I have executive coaching clients and just in hearing what you're saying it it feels to me, and this isn't a plug for you and I as mm. as, as coaches, but it does feel to me, you know, a lot of leaders have an executive coach. Choosing an executive coach that's okay with those emotions yeah. and is willing yeah. to lead those yeah. out of you yeah. seems to be important. And go
1: there. And I think, yes, it's... And um, I think that's one of the... not want to kind of go off maybe too much at a tangent, but um, <laughs> I think it's one of the things that I would have some views and opinions on about coaching and coaching. Um, and a, a sort of sense of where actually a kind of model of coaching, which is only about asking questions, which are around facilitating somebody to come up with their own solutions to their own kind of challenges and situations that they're bringing. And I, I think there's enormous value in all of those sorts of conversations. I'm not remotely for one minute saying Agreed. that. I, I don't think that's a really important thing to be doing. And I think when people start out in coaching... Um, actually, that's a really important skill to get good at because it's the bit that we're often not good at on a day-to-day basis is kind of taking our own stuff kind of out of a conversation and truly only kind of listening and questioning to explore and guide. Um, But actually, I think to do the deeper change work that's needed um, for a lot of people to step up and kind of really start to lean into their full potential. Um, Actually, there need to be some additional skills that are brought in and a different way of working with clients and and taking the responsibility mm. actually as the coach to kind of really invest in and sponsor your clients' success and performance um, and help them go there and do the work that's needed to um, kind of step up their game. I would say, I mean, who out of us is actually really operating at our full potential?
0: Uh, well, I think that's
1: you know, and that's the stuff that. You know, if we can tap into that and kind of really help people get all those barriers and blocks and things that get in the way of yeah. really living up to their potential, that pays enormous dividends for them. And I think that's the point around organisational change. It doesn't just also pay dividends for them. For an individual as a leader, it actually pays dividends for their team. It shows up in you know, improved performance across organisations. It matters.
0: Yes. And I think that there's something... Really important, and what I mean, there's lots of important stuff you mm. just said. But what I'm hearing in in that bit about which, are, who are amongst us is mm. is absolutely on the top of the A game? There's a humility that comes from again leaning into that and yeah. going, yeah. Well, as a coach, I'm not there, so no. I can coach you on that. As a leader, I'm not there, yeah. so. But there's a an excitement that comes. For that growth, it gives that potential for growth. Whereas if you're holding it at an ego level, saying, I'm chief exec and therefore I must be there, there's no room for growth. And there's that tightness. That's the beach
1: ball I heard you talking about earlier. And what message does that send? does that say to kind of others around you? you know, everything about that message says that, you know, I'm the leader, I, have the, I should have the answers, therefore you should all look to me, therefore you don't mm. need to come up with answers. And that actually it's not okay to have, you know, kind of to not be there, to not be perfect and to not have, you know, I, I often kind of go into organisations say, you know, actually I think as senior leaders, you have a responsibility to be vulnerable with yes. your people that you work with yes. I think it's leaders cast a bigger shadow and everything a leader does is observed and scrutinised by others whether that's consciously or unconsciously others are mapping you and are looking to you yes. and picking and up and em- really emulating Yeah, um, and therefore there is a whole kind of ripple effect to even those small moments and all of those moments they do really matter Yeah. Um,
0: Okay, yeah, hmm. that, that's one of the reasons that a lot of the work that we're doing now is around change hacks and and modeling out from a leader. It's like, how do you do these things? As well as what I'm hearing and what you're saying around the exec coaching in yes. challenging them on yeah. being getting closer to that A game and being vulnerable and 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 whatever. Yeah, nice. Okay, so let's imagine somebody's uh, new uh, is an entrepreneur starting up a new organization. Yeah. That has hope to, to move forward, or they're just coming in as a new leader into an existing team, what can they do, what can they put in place that, that helps some of the stuff we've been talking
1: about emerge? Okay. Um, so I think one of the first things to look at is how do we work together as much as it's tempting to jump, jump straight into all the what do we want to be working on? Um, so I think kind of process is really important Um, so looking at how do we almost contract that sounds a bit formal I'm not a big Mm. fan of that kind of term but in a sense that's is what I'm talking about how do we as a team want to contract to work with each other how can I as a leader support the team in order to be able to help them kind of really um, add value and um kind of flourish and grow and um, and how can they all help each other you know kind of making a real um, kind of commitment to Mm. a way of working as well as okay these are the things that we need to be focusing on you know these are our kind of objectives these are our particular goals you know so rather than only focusing on those things also absolutely investing time in thinking about how do we want to be working together and that that's not just a job that's done up front that that's something that's constantly, you know, that, that's embedded into meetings, conversations, ways of working. You know, how is this working? What do we want to do more of? What do we want to do less of? Feedback. I think feedback is so, you know, I, I've never been into an organisation and had, when I ask people about the amount of feedback they get... I've never been in and had people say, oh, my God, I get so, I get far too much feedback. I don't know what to do with <laughs> all the much feedback. Quality oh, feedback. my God, it's like so much <laughs> feedback, I don't know how to do it. Invariably, you get people saying, you know... Well, I kind of, you know, no news is good news sort of approach that, you know, I I kind of assume that I'll get feedback if things aren't working. Yeah. Um, And I think when you're starting up in particular, you know, and when you come in, if you've got a new team or you're starting a new business, this is a great opportunity to look at how can I establish and lay some of these things in place right from the beginning. Yeah. So good quality, open conversations, a real kind of, you know, appetite and desire to seek feedback from others. Um, And to be giving good quality feedback to others. So a a real honesty to um, conversations. And
0: And do you have any top tips about how to either set up a culture for feedback or or how to give good feedback? Because I don't think many people are, are particularly good at it.
1: I think people are... I think... So I'm kind of of the opinion that one of the things that gets in the way of people giving good feedback is their emotional state that people kind of work themselves up into before they give the feedback particularly if it's critical feedback okay so i think one of the things that happens is um and i hear this pattern a lot in kind of coaching and in some of the work i do is people say well i've got to give this person some feedback on this and i've been thinking about it now for you know so they've by the time they're talking to me about it they've maybe already been thinking about the feedback they've got to give for a for a week or so um the by the time they actually have the conversation they've rehearsed it they've run through it they've kind of you know got themselves all concerned about what it might be like and there's kind of an emotional tension you know they wake up that day thinking oh this I'm gonna have that conversation yeah. today and and I think everything about that kind of you know we're, we're really good at picking up on kind of the emotional states in other people and I think a lot of that brings a kind of tension and awkwardness to the conversation. Um, and I think that's a natural human, res- you know, kind of reaction yeah. and response to get yourself into that kind of state. So one of the biggest things I'm always saying is give the feedback as soon as you can. Be say Say what you see without judgment, straightforwardly and in the moment. Yes. And actually, it's amazing how that lands so much, so much better than... I always say, if you imagine you were on the other end, imagine if it was somebody that, you know, if, if you were the person who, you know, your line manager was thinking, oh, I need to give you feedback. Imagine how you would feel if you knew that for two weeks your manager had been going home at night and talking it through (laughs) with their partner and wondering how to give you that feedback and, you know, that it had taken them two weeks and then they call you in and then then they have the conversation, you'd be going, no, please, please, just, please just say it to me. I'd much rather just know straight away at the time it happens. You know, all of that kind of exacerbates it, but we have this sort of social awkwardness about having those more kind of authentic open conversations you know, straight away when stuff happens. Um, so I yeah. think catch it in the moment, be clear, be non-judgmental, say what you see without judgment um, and move on. I think it's, yeah, and and seek it back. I think that's the other thing as well. So
0: That's interesting, isn't it? Because that goes back to the piece you were talking about, vulnerability. Yeah. And I... I can hear in what you're saying that it's much easier to give high quality feedback if you're willing to be vulnerable yeah. as yeah. well. If you're yeah. putting on this veneer of perfection, yeah. then it becomes, yeah. it's impossible almost for it not to become critical. Yeah. Whereas but if it's, it's about, well, we're all vulnerable, yeah. here's something I noticed yeah. that may be of use to you, yes. is is very different.
1: Yeah. And so different to that, you know, um, and this is the other thing I see that some people do is that, you know, in my two weeks of preparing to have this difficult conversation, I've made quite a lot of notes. And, you know, so the person sits down and have the conversation and you know, there's the other person across the desk and they've got their pen and their pad and they're reading their notes and they're looking at you as they're giving their feedback. There's, there's not much in that interaction, which is about actually I'm connecting with you human to human.
0: Yes. I'm sharing the with you.
1: Yeah. I'm sharing with you my experience of what I've just noticed in your behavior and I want and I'm also then asking you and I think this is another important part actually is the so that having giving that feedback particularly in a leader if in a leader position if we look at it from that angle is the how can I support you in being able to do this differently or what do you need from me to be able to kind of um you know develop that change that or yeah
0: um Interesting that you said behaviour there as well, rather than mm. who you are. <laughs> yeah, and this is
1: the say what you see. Yes, yes, not you're this. Yeah,
0: yeah. Okay, so I, I want to take you back to that contracting you were talking about yeah. in, inside an organisation and within inside a team, and and that being an ongoing process. Do you think values, organisational values or team values, can be a part of that jigsaw, or oh, what?
1: Yes, I mean, yeah, yeah. I think. Um, So I think there are several things that are really important. I think one is a real sense of, and a a lot of the research around um, engagement, and engagement in organisations and at a team level and individual um, kind of levels of engagement and aliveness around having a real sense of meaning and purpose in life. Um, And that really is important in terms of our work. So the more we're we're kind of attached to a real sense of how we contribute, how we add value, how there's a kind of real meaning and purpose that can be found in work that is supported through a set of values that really matter to us, you're really creating the conditions within which people are more likely to kind of really flourish and grow. And how does that happen? Um, so I think it's a conversation. I think it's because one of the challenges is, and I think this is a thing some organisations have walked into, um, is that there can be a piece of work that's done at, say, senior level, establishing what the vision is and what the values are for the organisation. And then those get kind of pushed out or rolled out across the organisation. Um, and what where it sometimes falls down is there's no conversation about those that brings those to life. Mm. So actually, what do those look like at a behavioural level? How do those align with what my values are? How does my sense of meaning and purpose link into this? So how do we all see how collectively we are a part of kind of embodying the values in the organisation. Um, but not in a way that's about saying we must all do this in the same way. So I think more conversation around what are my values and how do those sit alongside the values in the organisation and contribute to those. Um, so a lot more discussion about that, I think is yeah. important.
0: And uh, you, know, we obviously all have our ideas as coaches and facilitators about how to do that any thoughts from you around if you were if an organization came to you and said i love that i heard that you talk about it on the podcast i'd love you to do it yeah Uh, what what would you actually put in place or how would you work on that obviously we'd go in digitally and all of those sort of things but
1: yeah um so it's about going in and facilitating conversations about what's important to people. So it may be, depending on the organisation, there may be different approaches and different methods of kind of doing that, but starting that conversation. Yeah. Um, and that's often involves starting that conversation at different levels across the organisation, um, not just you know, kind of top team only, if you like, that actually this is something that needs to be facilitated through co-creation. And there are different methods and different approaches from doing that. So um, kind of technologies such as appreciative inquiry, for example, or kind of um, facilitative approaches that you can give you a really great framework for working with large groups of people in order to kind of create a really compelling vision and an approach moving forward, so... Lovely. Mm. Um, let's. You were talking about meaning and purpose at work
0: and so that people can flourish and grow. Mm. Anything else about the conditions for that? I know within positive psychology you yeah. talk about that yeah. quite a lot, but um, any thoughts about the conditions that need to be present yeah. for that to take place?
1: Um, several things. So um, uh, and I think one of the, uh, and many people, many of the viewers may be familiar with... Um, Um, Dan Pink's work on um, drive, but the kind of underpinning theories that sit underneath that around self-determination theory and the idea of what might be kind of core um, drives or needs that we have as um, individuals and humans and how are those fulfilled or met Mm. um, in our organisational context. So the need to have some kind of autonomy to be able to um, kind of have some real sense of control over our lives and where we're going. Um, the importance of relatedness to kind of connect with other people you know connection really matters you know we are a social species and kind of connecting with others around us is really important Um, and mastery that kind of real opportunity to be able to develop and grow and to be able to kind of um, move forward and show progress, that these are kind of core elements of human experience. And when our organisational environments kind of put, you know, a kind of metaphorical glass, if you like, over us,
0: Yes.
1: Um, and... We could only go so far with some of those things. Um, it limits our potential to flourish and grow in organisations. And I think it's a huge loss at an organisational level because there's so much kind of untapped capability and potential that individuals could bring um, if that kind of glass was lifted and taken away.
0: And uh, if Mason and I were talking this morning about an article earlier this year in Forbes mm. Um which was entitled, and I looked down at my notes to try yeah. and remember this. But uh, why your millennials are leaving, okay. and how to stop them. Okay. Any thoughts on 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 because there, there seems to be something. Yeah. You know, the the key things I think it was talking about were flexible flexible hours,
1: so yeah, office well, uh, atmosphere, yeah. these yeah. sort of things. Yeah, and a lot of those things are about. Creating environments or cultures where individuals can and do flourish, and a lot more around flexibility, allowing people to be able to um, align their values with their organizational work, the opportunity to maybe engage in social projects and initiatives that are beyond those that are directly mm-hmm. um, kind of addressed by the organization, um, being able to kind of shape one's role. So, some of the work um, around job crafting by um, Amy Riznaski, who, whose name I know I have completely incorrectly pronounced, um, <laughs> but really interesting work looking at how can you, um, through identification of individuals' strengths, how can people kind of craft and shape and nudge the edges of their roles in order to be able to have, for example, increased um, autonomy, or it might be yeah. um, an opportunity to really develop their mastery or to connect more, you know, to find the things that matter to them and be able to kind of grow and create more of that. Um, and a lot of those things are really important. I'm a little bit. I have a bit of a kind of hobby horse about the whole millennials thing because I think it's a term that's used a lot now, and I, you know, it's another thing I hear in organisations is people say, "Oh, you know, well the millennials want this," and um, that actually I think the stuff that often I see and hear being talked about around millennials is to me actually what humans want <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just that the millennials are maybe kind of calling out for it yes. That actually I think when you look at what a lot of the you know a lot of those kind of conversations and discussions if you went to somebody who was generation x and said you know how, how about a bit more of that at work I think a lot of them would also be going absolutely I'm kind of all for that so I yeah. don't think it's unique to millennials I think I it's that agree. millennials have maybe kind of the agenda has arisen um, on the back of that generation, if you like. But actually, I think these are human things.
0: Yeah, and I guess they're voting with their feet. Yeah. So there's... You know, Organisations tend to move a little bit when there's pain involved. Yeah. And if you can't get yeah. the right staff... You're not going to attract the talent We've you got need. to do something it different. It matters.
1: It really matters, yeah.
0: I'm hearing for that to work, though, that you're going to have to let go of the command and control Completely. structures. Yeah. How do you do that? If you've got command and control in as a, a primary paradigm within yeah. an organisation... How do you get rid of enough of that? Because you have to trust that somebody will actually be working and will yeah. do something yeah. and you know, that you can craft a job yeah. and not go, no, you just have to do this. Yeah. Any yeah. thoughts on, on how that can
1: actually be achieved? Um, so I'm kind of looping back a little bit <laughs> to where we started at the beginning because a lot <laughs> of that is. So what is it? Where, where's the fear? What is it that peop- people are fearful of happening yes. if they let go of the control that the organisation currently feels it has because of the mm. way in which it operates? Um, and actually, how realistic is that or not? Um, what are some of the beliefs or limitations that maybe sit underneath that um, that mean people feel very vulnerable about kind of saying? And and I know this happens. I've had conversations in... Um, with clients where I've talked about job crafting for example and there's a real kind of oh I don't know that would be a really scary place to go I don't know if we'd be able to do that and um, so there is often an important piece of work around okay let's really look at that um, what where is the fear how realistic is that mm-hmm. fear and if there are limitations around it how can you take elements of that the spirit of for example job crafting but not Embrace it in its full form, for example, that eases you into some of those changes. So, you know, you don't have to jump fully off and into it um, and kind of let go of everything you've known that was kind of safe and made you feel in control before. So what are the kind of almost little bits that you can start to embrace that actually um, shift the ways of working a little bit? Um, And then also looping back to the bit about Actually, what is it that's going on at a personal level around comfort and discomfort, yes. um, around control and the need to be in control, and what that means to let go, and and often that's about a fear of uncertainty and not being able to predict outcomes. Okay. And if you're a senior leader, you know everything everything about the fact that you're in the position you are suggests that what you've been doing for years has been working. You know, you've been, you've been promoted yes. through the ranks. You've kind of been appointed because because what you have done has worked. So there are years of evidence that would suggest that you know I shouldn't stop doing what I've been doing for a long time. But there's a whole compelling kind of um, context within which we're operating in which says that, actually, what worked before does not necessarily work now. And what worked in that role is often actually the very thing that holds us back when we move up into a more senior role.
0: Yes. Kevin Watson um, often says radical change has already happened. Yeah. This, is, this isn't about yeah. uh, you're sitting with oh, when, what change is going to ha-? It's happened. Yes. It's already out yeah. there. Yeah. It's yeah. about us catching
1: yeah. up. Yeah. I was interviewing a leader the other day for some research I was doing in um, in one of um, the organisations I work in. And um, one of the things she said is, you know, the... the The job we need you to do this year is never going to be the same as the job that you were doing last year. And kind of everybody in an organisation needs to get their head around that.
0: Yes. And I'd probably extend that and and probably this is what she meant. But from the the stuff we were talking about with vulnerability, that's not just about the skill set, the things you're doing. But who you are being in that role probably will change from, from year to year.
1: Yeah. Which is exciting.
0: Hugely exciting. It's really exciting. Yes. Um, can you just give us a one minute on, on job crafting?
1: Um, so job crafting is about identifying what are your strengths and capabilities that you can bring to any role? Where's the value that you bring because of your strengths and capabilities? So that may well be that, you know, actually, there's something about the way you look at things, you look at problems and situations that enables you to make connections between things. Or it may be that you bring a kind of creative, original way of thinking to um, particular problems or ways of working. Or it may be that your strength is in really connecting with other people and understanding them and you know, showing real empathy and connection with with others, with customers and clients. So looking at what is that value you really bring? What is the work that you do that really energises and engages you? And then looking at what are the requirements within the role? And then looking at where are the overlaps and synergies of those? Mm. So there are always going to be elements of everybody's work that is the stuff that, you know, we don't particularly like to do, but kind of has to be done. But it's about how can you kind of nudge and manage the role in such a way that you're spending less time on that, or you're able to perhaps bring and use your strengths in order to make that work more effectively for you. And how can you grow the aspects of your role and kind of extend those um, so that you are playing to your strengths and playing to your energy levels, um, doing more of the work that really engages you. And you can do that at an individual level, but also look at doing that collectively as a team. So if we look at, all of us as a team? What are our collective strengths? What do we need to be achieving as a team? And how can we best work together in order to um, kind of manage all of those in a way that there's a kind of greater synergy between us all? Thank you. That's all right.
0: One of the things you you mentioned um, when you're talking about meaning and purpose at work was mm. social projects and initiatives and people yeah. getting involved in them. That, that sort of brings to mind organisations and how organisations are developing. You know, what, how do you see organizations moving forward, and particularly in regards to social impact yeah. and and I think whatever. it
1: matters a lot, actually. and I think as um it matters I think it matters more and more to people that we want to be working for organizations that have a strong sense of kind of, um, I guess, a, a strong, clear moral compass that yeah. Yeah, there is a real social responsibility and a social conscience that you can see in the organisation, that there's a, a real commitment by the organisation to um, a sustainable way of working, to um, you know, positively feeding back into the society um, that they operate in. Um, and I think also as consumers, um, you know, as customers of organisations, these things increasingly mm. matter to us as well. Um, so being able to have the um, opportunity to be able to do that and contribute to that in an organisation, I think is um, a, a really compelling and important part of finding more meaning and purpose for individuals. And, uh, you know, that that sort of, to me, traditionally,
0: you mm. know, coming from having founded a charity and, and yeah. that sort of thing, and worked a lot with corporations and with corporate social responsibility and stuff yeah. like that, that, there certainly used to be a time when I used to bang a drum and jump up and down frustrated. Yeah. It's like, why are you, organization, doing this bit of random community support work? Very nice, yeah. but not at all connected to your brand and who you are okay. and, and what a difference. Yeah. Right? And it, it's almost like this isolated giving yes. money to things. Yes. I'm noticing a change in, you know, in what you're saying there, this move to, to you know, your customers, your staff, you know, are gonna be voting with their feet based on these things Mm. any thoughts about how that's going to change organizations or how that change can can actually take place because we're champions for it (laughs) yes
1: the um so i think so it's interesting what you were saying about the you know kind of almost like it's a thing that's done within a set of boundaries as if you know like i don't know this is this is the social project or the Mm. social the initiative that we're contributing to and it's kind of you almost like it's wrapped up and pocketed away as a sort of, you know, almost a little side part as opposed to looking at corporate social responsibility, you know, every which way you slice the organisation. Yes. Um, And I think um, that's an important shift in terms of the way of thinking about it. How is everything that we are doing impacting and how do we want to, kind of dial that up in order to have more positive impact um, and involving individuals in doing that. Um, so through things like partnerships with local schools, for example, yeah. um, looking at connections um, with individual things that matter to people within the organisation and kind of, uh, I think a lot of those sorts of things um, there could be more and more of. Yes. Okay. Okay.
0: And I'm I'm hearing in this conversation a lot of change, a mm. lot of things, different ways of needing to do mm. things. And, you know, I, I think the one constant that we're all facing at the moment is the way it was last year isn't the way that it is this year, as you just yeah. said. How can people best prepare themselves for this changing world or, or become more resilient to it?
1: Um So I think there are a few things. There are the things you can do, kind of day to day. So there are what I would call kind of positive habits or practices that help build um, personal resilience. Are kind of how how resilient we might be on a day to day basis. But not only our resilience, but also actually the kind of dialing up the way in which we feel we're engaged and connected with the world around us with others around us um, and that we're really kind of active agents in our in our own life and kind of shaping and um, shaping our own destiny and kind of moving forward and um, through to i think kind of bigger um, areas to be looking at um, such as um, the way in which the kind of choices we make about the work that we do um, you know, how we um, Organise and create our environments around us, where we choose to live. Um, the you know the way in which we shape our lives at a broader and larger level, um, at a kind of daily habits type of level. Things yeah. like I mean, things like gratitude practices, for example, have consistently been shown. I mean, the the evidence base behind um, bringing in some kind of gratitude practice into your life. Um, a, a really remarkable, actually, some mm. very kind of compelling evidence there. Um, taking time out to you just just be a little bit more. So whether or not that's through kind of mindfulness type of practices or you know, more um, particular self you know, meditation type practices, um, or whether it's that you know just going for a walk in the woods on a glorious autumn day like it is today, and yeah. you know just looking up and soaking in the kind of amazing colors. Um, So creating those moments in our lives on a day-to-day basis can make an enormous difference and kind of ground us and kind of... um connect us with a different perspective on our lives which um, kind of fuels us and recharges us as Mm -hmm. well as I say those kind of larger things and thinking about actually what's really important to me in my life what are my values where is it I want to be you know what's my sense of meaning and purpose and how do I make choices about my career about what I'm doing my relationships about um, where and how I live that are grounded in some of those Knowing they're not fixed, of yes. course. Um, yes, you know, it's, it's a journey. It's, it's a journey. It's, you know, it, it's never sorted. Yeah, sure. and it links back to that but,
0: vulnerability piece as yeah, well, doesn't it? It's, yes. it? it's being okay with it not yeah. being sorted. And
1: actually, that's you know, and imagine what it would be like if it was. Imagine yes. if you got there and there was, you know, I don't know. You woke up on a Monday and you went, "Wow, that's it. It's all sorted." <laughs> then what would we do? <laughs> like, you know, that's I'm the fun. For
0: that day, <laughs> <laughs> the, the
1: fun is in the journey. <laughs>
0: so, Okay, and I'm. I, I think I'm hearing hope in that as well. I'm hearing yeah, yeah. excitement. Yes. This excitement yes. for the future. Yeah, we're, we're talking about change here. We're talking about how much is changing and how fast things are changing. Mm. Have you got any f- thoughts putting on your futurologist hat? Yeah, any thoughts about organizations or sectors or careers or anything like that that you think is going to be obsolete in a few years time or you know the significant changes oh, are gonna take really place. I'm
1: curious about what it is that's gonna unfold. It's kind of you almost think if you can imagine it is a possibility, isn't it? Is that how how the kind of landscape of our kind of world might be in, you know, fifty odd years from now. Um, I I sense that there's going to be increasingly dispersed models of leadership. I think increasingly um, kind of um, organisations that are much more kind of fluids and and adaptable, I think there's going to be a significant increase in um, flexibility in the ways in which people work across things like, for example, not only working for one organisation and a lot more around collaboration, organisational collaboration and partnership. Um, And and the whole um, AI piece is really interesting, how that's going to kind of shape and influence the way in which organisations operate. I think I'm really kind of optimistic and hopeful that on the back of some of the concerns that organisations raise with me and the conversations I have with them now about um, wanting to create really positive workplaces for people Mm. that when they're looking at introducing and investing in more and more AI technology, that it's done with that in mind. And it's that how can we use what AI brings us in order to actually create the space and freedom for the people that work in the organisation to be able to, for example, craft their yeah. jobs more to really bring the most out of the kind of human strengths that they bring. Um, because actually, it could be really exciting. We could have, you know, it's the opportunity to create really exciting organisations. So I think that's that's a really um, kind of big shift. So I'm very curious to see quite how that plays out in another 50 years. But I think starting to ask those questions and embracing some of the ways in which technology can allow us to be more human in our workplaces um, okay. is an important one
0: in a moment i'm going to ask you the big question the how does change happen
1: question. Oh, okay
0: so just to prepare you <laughs> okay. warn you on that uh, i just want to come back briefly to that collaboration and partnerships piece that you were talking about yeah. there because i think that is interesting how yeah you know, we we in Bristol, yeah, um, been doing a little bit of work, or Andy's been doing a little bit of work with the new nuclear build project happening mm. down in Hinckley, okay. and really, you know, collaboration is definitely a buzzword there. But there, there seems to be real challenges for a lot of these big projects about getting people to collaborate. Yes. And there's so many cost savings and yes. opportunities from from doing so. Yeah. What are your thoughts on on
1: collaboration
0: and partnership?
1: Um, so I think there are in enormous bonuses and reasons, you know, strong, compelling reasons to be doing more um, collaboration and more partnership working. I think there's, we operate in a changing world in terms of um, access to information. And I think the more sharing there is of kind of insights and learning, yeah. actually, there's more opportunity for us to grow together in order to kind of expand that and um, make the most of it and kind of, you know, grow and benefit kind of society and our organisations, as opposed to that more kind of scarcity model of this is mine, keep it, protect it. And, you know, the value is in putting boundaries around it. I think increasingly we're seeing that actually the value comes in sharing Mm. um, and that that leads to more new stuff, which actually just means we all grow. Um, Equally, collaboration is not always you know it's not that you know you go into organizations and it's not about saying actually everything you're doing you ought to be collaborating on yes um collaboration can take more time um there can be all sorts of challenges that come with collaboration it can be that you know and and slipping into a way of working which is that it's more around compromise and trying to find some kind of collective way forward which actually means you're not getting mm. the, the kind of you know the best output or the bit that if there was a smaller more specialist team that had real kind of depth of knowledge and insight or ideas and that might come up with so sometimes do we end up with something that's kind of you know mediocre because it's the it's the adapted kind of watered down version that everyone can agree on yes as opposed to actually the more the more kind of cutting edge, really challenging, um, perhaps higher risk solution um, that might have come up if it had been a smaller group working, for example, or so thinking about how and when to collaborate. Um, mm. But I've, I think I've yet to go into an organisation and they're over-collaborating. I think, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not too concerned that the, you know, the pendulum is going to swing so far the other way that, you know, everyone's collaborating about everything. You kind of, you know, I think that's unlikely, but... Yeah, it's I always think... it's always a risk though that bit of um, you know at an individual level or an organisational level that they kind of want to drive more. We need more collaboration, or we need more yeah. you know um, um, you know we need more creativity, or we need whatever whatever it might be. And they kind of you know set their goal for wanting to have more of that, and then what ends up happening is they completely overcompensate and it's the rather than the the moment we think we're say you know five out of ten on collaboration if we were to give an arbitrary kind of figure to it and we we maybe would like to dial it up a little bit more let's let's see what six or seven might be like yeah and where would it make the biggest difference yes and um you know as opposed to kind of this this pendulum swing that you see happen in all kind of walks of life really that um overcompensation as you suddenly redirect your energies to a to another area
0: yeah it's interesting it also talks back i suppose to what you were talking about about around vulnerability yeah. as well that need for vulnerability in order to be able to do that yeah. and also the values or that, that contracting yeah. piece and matching yeah. values between the organizations or teams yeah the really that need important to for
1: collaboration and you you really need to be able to be for collaboration to work effectively you really need to be able to um, embrace that vulnerability that is required to have uh a kind of more honest, open, deeper type of conversation about yes. things and really be able to move things forward. So, yeah. okay,
0: yeah. And I, I'm hearing I, increasingly, I'm seeing that there's a role. You know, one of the things I say is that training is probably dead uh, or yeah. getting that way. Yeah. If, you know, old school flatline training. Um, I think that's not a bad thing. No. One of the growth areas potentially, where having a really strong facilitator or yeah. a coach in in areas of collaboration, there are advantages to having that external force. I think potentially collaboration might be one of those that where that ability to step back and support yes. that those that, that alignment of yeah. values and and. Yeah question oh,
1: yeah definitely um what i was saying earlier about process versus content yeah and one of the things that um facilitating that work it means the facilitator can track process mm. and can manage and whole process in such a way that it really enables the group and the team or the you know the partners involved in the collaboration um to kind of tip in and engage in the content so it's um yeah
0: thank you okay so here's the question how does change happen? Oh.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, no small one. No. <laughs> right up there. Right at yeah. the top. But it's interesting because it's because in one sense, it it always is all the time already. I mean, we are changing. We're not. We're never the same. I mean, literally almost in every minute to minute we are we are changing and different. You know, change is the natural order of things. Um, you know. We sat here on a like I was saying earlier on a kind of autumn day, looking out kind of autumn colors it's you know change is happening out of the window um and it's happening to each and every one of us all the time um so in a sense, change is natural um and then there's then there's the other bit of change which yeah. is the the change we kind of want to force or you know that we want to kind of direct and the challenge i think in sometimes is finding how do we hold those two things together so how do we lean into the kind of natural process of change yeah and at the same time have a sense of where it is we want to be going what's the vision what's the kind of the the broader area that we want to be moving towards and, and managing that natural process of change but towards a certain type of direction um and I think one of the challenges is, is that we often try and force, force change in a way that is counter to the kind of natural unfolding of change okay. that is happening in each one of us as individuals and is happening as part of society and at an organisational level as well. Wonderful. But I don't know if that answers the question, really, does it? <laughs> but, um, I think, it. well, it, 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 one of the things we're
0: enjoying and one of the reasons we often ask that question yeah. is just to get the different takes on it, the different yeah. views, the different, as, as we try and build this map yeah. around how does change happen? And yeah. you know, we're both considered by a lot of people out there experts in the, the topic of change, mm. and yet... I suppose we have the vulnerability and humility to recognize there are so many different takes on it. And if we can only map some of that uh, across different domains as well, then we've got new insights and opportunities that that can abound from it. So I think perfect answer. Thank you very (laughs) much. Okay, Sarah, uh, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for... Imparting your wisdom. Thank you for being a
1: fun conversation. (laughs) I enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, yeah. (laughs) wonderful. Uh, Yeah, thank you for being part of the ninety-one untold change project. Really looking forward to the next steps of the adventure together, Um, and
1: appreciate all of your words today. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. As I say, I've really enjoyed it. Permission to, to kind of waffle on about things for us. I just hope I haven't bored everybody listening to this along the other end. Well,
0: the nice thing is, if, a... if, if we did, they tuned off ages <laughs> ago. That's true. Go, so. That's
1: true. by now they've missed my apology. <laughs> exactly. Put it, put it in 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 at, at the, the beginning. beginning. Yes. <laughs> a little opening. <laughs> Fantastic.
0: Thanks, Sarah, thank you. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode. Uh, if you've enjoyed it, please subscribe. Uh, and if you're willing, take a moment to leave us a rating or review. This podcast is also video recorded. So if you want to see our guests in glorious Technicolor, please head over to YouTube. Uh, I believe it's youtube.com forward slash 91 Untold. But as with all our social accounts, just search for 91 Untold or the 91 Untold Change Project, and I'm sure you'll find us. Now, of course, this is intended as a project. So if you want to get involved in the discussion, we'd love to talk with you. Uh, Please head over to Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn or Twitter um, and join the conversation.